Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Fantastic. Greetings, uh, Christchurch Manchester and uh, in Fallowfield. It's really, really great to be with you. My name is Monisi and uh, I'm the lead elder of the uh, eldership team here in Nairobi, which is in Kenya in East Africa. And um, One Tribe, which is the name of our church, uh, was planted out of the advanced group of churches. And advanced is part of a wider family of churches that is called New Frontiers. And uh, you've probably never heard of me, but um, being a part of this family, when I hear uh, Tim and Vicky Simmons, um, these are names that are familiar to me. And um, when I hear Colin Barron, I've been in seminars taken by Colin Barron, and he's been a blessing. And actually, he uh, he's had things in uh, in Manchester on his heart for some time. And uh, to hear that there's a church in Fallowfield, um, it's just the fruit of much prayer, I know, and much vision. And so uh, even just being able to speak to you here tonight is an encouragement to me. And uh, as Tim said to you, uh, yes, I'm bivocational. And so three days a week, usually I am in a hospital um, at a pediatric orthopedic hospital. I work as one of the orthopedic surgeons there. And um, three days a week roughly is um, church work, which I absolutely love and enjoy. And uh, part of that, believe it or not, is having the privilege of speaking to people like you. And um, like you, we're going through the pandemic and we haven't been as hard hit as other parts of the world, thankfully, so far. Um, in Nairobi or in Kenya, we've had 4,478 uh, uh, cases of COVID-19 and 121 deaths. And so uh, God has spared us in that sense so far. We've been really blessed by the excellent leadership of the government who've kind of steered a middle course between letting everything keep on going on one hand or on the other hand, um, shutting everything down indefinitely with no exit plan. And so we're thankful for God's grace to us through the government. And um, we try and be relevant to what's going on. And like you, we are um, taking up offerings for the, the poor and to try and engage with what's going on. John Stott said that uh, a good preacher should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand. And uh, when you read the newspaper over recent months, one of the topics or the, probably the two words that would summarize the newspaper over the last uh, six months or so and our Twitter feeds and social media is death and inequality. And um, those two things have been two very strong and dominant themes. And uh, that reminds me on the one hand, when we talk about the newspaper, it reminds me of a story about a man by the name of Alfred Nobel. I wonder if you've heard it. Alfred Nobel was a Swedish scientist. He was a chemist. And um, Alfred Nobel had a brother. And what happened is that um, Alfred Nobel's brother died. And a newspaper heard the news that uh, Mr. Nobel has died. And um, it, although it was Alfred's brother who died, the newspaper thought that it was Alfred Nobel who had died. And so this newspaper actually printed his obituary. And so Alfred Nobel picked up the newspaper one day and he got to read his own obituary. And he had invented dynamite and 
a whole lot of other things. And this newspaper printed his obituary saying that he was a man who made his fortune by enabling people to kill other people at an unprecedented scale. And um, when he read that, he was so broken that he committed there and then to commit his fortune to bettering humanity. And a part of that is what we've now come to know as the Nobel Prize and the Nobel Peace Prize, for example. So Alfred Nobel, he had the opportunity as he contemplated death and his own death to think about how he should live in this life. And um, if you read the newspaper, there's a lot of talk about death. There's a lot of talk about inequality. And uh, Jesus, interestingly enough, told one story that tackles both of these issues absolutely head on. And um, it's in Luke chapter 16, if you have your Bibles. And while you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to dive into the story. God, we want to thank you for the privilege of being a part of your church, whether it's in Fallowfield in Manchester or whether it's in Nairobi in Kenya. You are good to us. And uh, we love you because you loved us first. And God, I pray that um, as we go through your word, you would speak to us, help us to hear, prepare our hearts to respond to your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Verse 19 says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Don't you want to be that guy? At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. In our time together, I just want to walk us through this parable. Then when we've done that, I'm going to take us back through and look at, hopefully, if time permits, um, three characters in the Bible and what we can learn from each of them. But um, by way of introduction, at this point in the story, we meet the rich man and we meet Lazarus. Let's talk about the rich man first. What do we know about the rich man? The first thing we know about him is that he's rich. And the second thing that we learn about him is that he was dressed in purple and fine linen. What does that tell us about this guy? Well, purple was um, a very, very expensive dye. So if you saw someone wearing purple in those days, you knew that they had a lot of money. Purple and fine linen. That fine linen comes from the Greek word busos, which was a, a rare kind of Egyptian cotton that made the finest and most comfortable underwear. And so at the outset of the story, Jesus is saying there's a rich man. He looked great on the outside, dressed in purple. And in case any of you are wondering, he also had very comfortable underwear. He was rich. He was dressed in purple and fine linen. And the Bible says that he feasted sumptuously, some Bible translations say, every day. How's that for privilege? But then the Bible also introduces us to Lazarus, and it kind of puts them side by side. It tells us that Lazarus, he's not rich, he's a beggar, and he's not covered in purple and fine linen. The Bible tells us that his body is covered in sores, and he's not feasting sumptuously every day, but the Bible tells us that he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Friends, I don't know what, how things are in Manchester, but this is actually a picture of Nairobi. 
You've got incredible wealth on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you've got incredible poverty right next door to each other. And in Nairobi, we've got one of the biggest slums in the world called Kibera Slum. And right next to that slum, we have incredible wealth in a neighboring suburb. It's the story of Nairobi. It's the story of our world, your world and my world. There are incredibly wealthy countries, privileged countries, if you like, and right next door to them, incredibly impoverished countries. And one pastor spoke about how, friends, these are the things that are pulling the world apart. This tension, this juxtaposition between wealth and poverty. But this isn't just about rich and poor. It's about resources and how we leverage them. So someone said this, this story could equally have featured a politician with his power or an academic with his brains or even a preacher with his eloquence. Indeed, anyone with any kind of resources or skills. Every man, listen to this, every man possesses something of the sort, be it no more than a heart and a hand and a span of life. And to every man is given some Lazarus at the door. The story goes on. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. These people had two very different lives, but they had one commonality in the story. And that commonality was in death. The Bible says that it's appointed to man to die once and then comes judgment after death which we will all face, we will go one of two very different paths. I love the stories from a cemetery a long time ago. In the cemetery was a tombstone, more than 100 years old. On the tombstone was written this epitaph. This is what the epitaph said. It said, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. An unknown passerby scratched these additional words on the tombstone. They put this on, they added, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. You see from death, everything changes. One man put it this way, from the moment of death, the poor man's suffering ceased forever and the rich man's feasting ceased forever. Let's read on in our story. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from over there to us. So 
So we see Lazarus. He's reclining in a couch. He's with Abraham. And by the way, this is one of the ways that we know that this story isn't just about rich and poor. The moral of the story isn't if you're rich and privileged, you're going to go to hell. And if you are poor and suffering, you're going to go to a better place. No, no, it's not about that. Because Abraham, if you know much about the Bible story, was actually incredibly wealthy. And he's there with Lazarus in the afterlife. And Lazarus is comforted. That's not what the rich man found. The rich man, he finds himself in a place where he's thirsty and thirsts in the Bible, like a deer thirsts for streams of water. So my soul thirsts for you. Thirst speaks about our soul crying out for the presence of a God who knows us and loves us. And we don't have that where the rich man went because he went to a Christless eternity. Two very different fates. I love the way that John Piper put it. He, he put it this way. He said, in other words, if during our time on earth, we pursue after things instead of God, like the rich man, after luxury for ourselves instead of love for others, then, if that's what we do, then earth will be the extent of our heaven and eternity will be our hell. But if during our time on the earth, God is our treasure, no matter how many bad things happen, then earth will be the extent of our hell and eternity will be our heaven. The rich man answered, he said, then I beg you, Father, send, send that guy Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. They have the scriptures. They have the Old Testament. The rich man, he says, no, 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 Father Abraham. Let me tell you how it works. If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Briefly in our time remaining, I just want us to look at the life of the rich man. I want us to look at the life of Lazarus. And I want us to draw out what we can in terms of reflections and lessons from their lives. Four things from the rich man. The first is this. We see in the life of the, the rich man, markers of privilege. He wore purple and fine linen, the way that he ate. You could tell by the way he dressed that he was a person of privilege. In our days, maybe different things. It might be the amount of money we have. It might be clothing. It might be where we live. It might be where we went to school. It might be what kind of accent that we have. But there are these markers of privilege around in our society. It's the first observation from the life of this rich man. The second is this. The second is that people can be beastly. Have you seen that on social media? Have you seen that on the news? People can be beastly to one another. We see in this story that the dogs came and licked Lazarus's wounds. And in the context of those times, they were actually being helpful because dog saliva was believed to have healing properties. So the storyteller, Jesus, he's saying that, you know what, even the dogs would come and help Lazarus, but not the rich man. The dogs are treating Lazarus better than this rich man was treating Lazarus. And I don't know about you, but I've seen some beastly behavior when I look around. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look within myself, I see beastly attitudes. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the gospel. 
The third thing we see is that people can be entitled and treat other people as objects. That's the way the rich man is. He's kind of like, oh yeah, he's in hell and he's, he's in torment. And then he looks up and he sees Lazarus and all he sees is an errand boy. All he sees is someone, hey, 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 that guy over there, call him. Yeah, I, I recognize him. He should come and get me a drink of water. Oh, he can't come here. Well, okay, let's send him somewhere else. Let's send him back to my brothers. Challenges the way that we, we see the people around us. And friends, I'm learning things from the rich man. I'm learning things from Lazarus. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, wherever you are in society, I think that each of us can learn things from the rich man and learn things from Lazarus. And the last thing we see is that people can be arrogant. We see that this arrogance with La the rich man is in a place of torment. And when Abraham says, no, 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 this is the way it works, the arrogance of from hell, he's correcting Abraham. He says, no, 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 Abraham, this is the way it should work. And actually, if we send someone back, then, then they'll repent. Sometimes, particularly when we've had privilege of different kinds, not just financial, but of different kinds, we, we can think that we have all the answers. And if there's one thing, if there's one thing I've learned, and maybe that we are learning in this time, it's that nobody has all the answers. No one's got an answer for COVID. No one's got an answer for inequality. What do we learn from Lazarus? Oh man, there's just so much stuff here. Let's see how far we can go. What do we learn from Lazarus? Well, well we hear his name. His name is Lazarus. And in the cultures of that day, one of the ways that people were, were honored was by being given a name. And Jesus in the story is the only parable in which he gives some one an actual name and there's no name given to the rich man he's just the rich man but Lazarus the Bible says he's, he's given a name by Jesus and one of the reasons was to give honor to the one that no one else honors because that's the heart of the gospel first Corinthians talks about how the parts that seem dishonorable we treat with special honor because that's the way of Christ it's the way of Christ's people and we see that in his name we hear his name and he's given a name first of all but then secondly the fact that his name is Lazarus you know what Lazarus means Lazarus means the one who God helps we see that in the story he's the one who God helps just one example in the story is when, when they both come to this common place of death the Bible says the rich man was buried you can imagine it would have been the fanciest of funerals the Bible doesn't tell us that Lazarus was buried probably because he had no friends to bury him. And so whilst this guy, the rich man would have had the fanciest of funerals, the Bible tells us that Lazarus, no one on earth would give him a funeral, but the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Isn't that beautiful? It's one, just one example of the way that God helps. I'm not saying it's just in the lifetime to come. I'm not saying that at all. But man, when we hear the name of Lazarus, the one who God helps, that encourages me because I need God's help. And chances are, whether you realize it or not, you do too. And that's good news. We hear his name. One of the amazing things I see about Lazarus as I've thought about these scriptures and studied them is that we hear his name, but we don't hear him speak. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that people shouldn't speak up against injustice. We should speak up against injustice. When we are silent, silence is complicity. I get all of that. that is, so don't hear me saying don't speak up. But what I am saying is this, apart from the speaking, even in his silence, Lazarus speaks. He's eloquent in his silence. 
He's silent when we see him suffering while he's on earth. And there's a character there. I think that that speaks of a contentment that he had in God. I'm not saying that he should settle for poverty. I'm not saying we should settle for poverty. We want to make poverty history, God willing. But man, we see something of Lazarus in his silence on earth. We see something of Lazarus in his silence at Abraham's side. You know what happens? Lazarus is at Abraham's side. The rich man is, um, he's in torment. And the rich man says, hey, Abraham, send, send that guy Lazarus for me. Well, I don't know about you, but if I was Lazarus, I'd have said to the rich man at that point, hey, rich man, I've actually got some words for you while you're down there in torment. But the Bible says nothing about what comes from Lazarus's lips. When the tables are turned, he's not out to get his his own back. But there's something pure and wonderful about the heart of Lazarus. There's so much good stuff here. What do we hear about Lazarus? What do we learn? We hear his name. We don't hear him speak. Thirdly, we can almost hear him whisper. And this was a great part of the story where, where Abraham says to the, to, the, to the rich man, he says, hey, listen, there's a chasm that separates us from you. And so actually those who want to get from here to you can't, and those who want to get from you to here can't. Now that begs the question, I love the way that a guy called Kenneth Bailey puts it. He says, who, for heaven's sake, would want to journey from heaven to hell? This is what Bailey says in his commentary on this. He says, obviously, Abraham has a volunteer. Obviously, Abraham has a volunteer, and there's only one other person on stage. Lazarus is whispering in Abraham's ear. There's this picture, possibly in the story, of Abraham's, of, of Lazarus having a heart to say, hey, listen, if there's any way that I can help this rich man, now that he's in torment, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to cross over. In fact, there's something beautiful about the heart of Lazarus. We can almost hear him whisper, and he's making us an offer. And uh, we've got to bring this in for a landing soon. So we're just going to do this and then touch on how we see Jesus briefly in this message, then we'll be done. Lazarus is making us an offer. Where am I coming from here? And if you disagree with me on this, it's okay. But this man had five brothers. The rich man had five brothers. Why is that important? Well, five brothers plus the rich man, because the rich man had five brothers, makes six. Six in Bible language is the, la- is the number of incompletions, the number, if you like, man without God. Now, I'm not into number of the beast and number of this and that. I'm not that guy, but I just found this interesting when one of the commentaries mentioned it. Seven in the Bible is the number of perfection and completion. And maybe one of the things that Jesus is hinting at it in the stories. He's saying, if those five brothers plus the rich man's six, if they hadn't treated Lazarus like a brother, they'd have become a family of seven. And that would speak of perfection and completion. And Lazarus could have perfected them. Lazarus could have completed them. Lazarus, if they brought Lazarus in, that would have made something beautiful. And friends, that's the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has brought you and I and the Bible says that, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus, see him in this parable. The Bible says that though he was rich, yet for your sake and my sake, he became poor so that you and I, through his poverty, might become 
rich. The Bible speaks to the rich man and it speaks to Lazarus and it humbles both to the ground and it lifts both up higher than the stars. The Bible says your attitude and my attitude, whether we're privileged in different ways or not in different ways, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, see the trajectory of the gospel. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's bow our heads now and let's have our tongues confess his goodness. God, we want to thank you that you're the rich one who became poor. And God, I pray that the realization you did that for us would sink into our hearts. And God, I ask that wherever we find privilege in our lives, you'd make us those who leverage it on behalf of those who do not have. And God, wherever we find ourselves as the Lazaruses in this life, I pray that by your gospel would be at work in our hearts. Yes, to fight against injustice. Yes, to tear down strongholds. Yes, to undo the work of the enemy. And God also, to bring glory to you, to shine a light, to show this world the kind of God that you are. And so, Jesus, let gospel truth soak into our hearts now. And may it bear fruit in these incredible times in which we're living. And everyone said, Amen.